what have I been getting so, so very wrong about writing up until now? Coming at you with a solo episode today, I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. Hey, welcome back to the show. I am so excited to talk to you today. This is being recorded after I've done my second semester of my PhD. So this is after two terms of coursework. I have officially wrapped up six courses in total now. I did two and a half courses in the fall term and then three and a half in the winter term. And wow, I had a hell of a term. So just a quick recap of like what this past term has been for me. I got COVID. My family got COVID. I did all of my schoolwork while still having COVID. We were really lucky and we had the milder strain of Omicron back in February. So the symptoms were mild, but the isolation with two kids at home while still trying to stay on top of coursework was very special. I will say that. I think the thing that stands out most for me about that time is that when I was working in the classroom, I could take time off and I could come back and things were relatively normal. Of course, there's always the stress of having to make supply plans and that sometimes would keep me in the classroom when I really shouldn't have been. But I realized while having COVID and having two kids at home and, you know, trying to balance my wife's work schedule that, you know, I'm going to either do the readings now or I'm going to do more readings when I'm healthy. So I was trying to like squeeze school and coursework into the random cracks of the day, which made the day even more stressful when trying to deal with COVID and kids being in the home and we didn't leave the house. It was also really, really cold. So even if we, you know, could just go into the backyard or something, it didn't feel great to do that. So the symptoms were mild. I feel like pre-COVID, I would have went to work with those kinds of symptoms, which is a funny thing to realize that even something that is really minor in my body could be very detrimental to other people. I think one uh, that's one of the more positive things that have come out of this COVID experience for me, just realizing how interdependent we are and how important it is to take care of ourselves when healthy. But the hard, the hardness of being a student during this time and that the work has to get done eventually. I think it probably is the same if you're an entrepreneur or a small business owner. Like you not doing the work doesn't mean that you get a free pass from the stuff that has to get done. So it seems like everybody that I know right now has had COVID or is in the middle of it right now. It is a lot. It is a lot right now. So I went through that this term In addition to my three and a half courses, I also applied for a butt ton of scholarships because that's what you do when you're a grad student. I explained this in some of the other earlier episodes about me kind of processing the PhD experience so far. I am in a fully funded cohort of my PhD program, which means that I get like a, you know, a small amount, but it's an amount that helps me pay for tuition and then a little bit of living expenses. Um, And it's comparable to what people get on EI when they're on maternity leave in Canada. The program that I'm in uh, encourages you to apply for scholarships as well, because then it's not the university paying for that, it's external funding streams. So I wrote four scholarship applications this past term, and then before that in the fall term, I had written one. So in total this year, I've written five scholarship applications. And as I've been going through this term, 
I've realized that pretty much the sum of what I'm doing as a PhD student is reading a lot, a lot, a lot. I've been sitting down quite a bit this term and writing so much, so much writing. You know, and it's interesting to me as somebody in education, how coming back to grad school, the format of read these articles, very little choice of what articles there are to read, and now write a formal paper to tell us what you've learned about these articles. It's still very traditional. It's still like, you know, that there are variations of that. And I am really lucky the course that I took with Rob Simon, it was different. And there I'm grateful for that. And there are, you know, variations of that with my Indigenous Methodologies course. But for the whole, it still resembles what my undergrad looked like back in the early 2000s. And interesting in an institution of education where that's still kind of the norm. So sitting with that, it is good that I really like reading and that I really enjoy writing. So if you're thinking about going and doing a PhD, some new internet friends of mine have reached out and, you know, been asking about doing a PhD. And, you know, if you are into it, I think that the most important question is how would you feel about reading and writing pretty much all day? And for me, that kind of works. I'm enjoying that. The thing that I want to talk about today is how my relationship to writing has changed just by doing it a lot. Now, backstory, I've always considered myself to be, I don't think I've always considered myself to be a writing, which is another conversation about identity and how my identity has been shifting. But I've always enjoyed writing. We'll say that. I was like the kid in grade five who was writing stories about her friends. Uh, I, you know, would take all of the English courses in my high school. Uh, I stopped writing for fun when I, you know, got into the later high school years and into my university year, years just because I was mostly writing, you know, papers and essays. But I, I've always enjoyed the process of journaling. Most of my writing actually has been personal, reflective. I kept a journal since I was in grade five. And that for me has been like a very therapeutic experience to process my life and to make sense of what is going on around me. But now I am cranking out writing uh, because that's part of my job. That's part of what I'm doing. And my relationship to writing has shifted and changed. What's interesting is that I've learned a lot more about writing by teaching writing as a middle school teacher for the past 11 years. The things that I'm aware of trying to include in my writing practice now, I've picked up because I've been, you know, studying the books of Nancy Atwell, or I've been engaging with writing down the bones, that seminal writing text. I'm using it with my students, but of course, I'm also taking it now for myself in my own practice. So within the span of two weeks, I think that I, I calculated it and I think I wrote about 16,000 words, which is like 64 pages, double spaced. And I mean, you know, I know that like what I'm working towards with the dissertation will be like 250, 300 pages. So, you know, that's small fries. And I'm sure that there are professional writers or folks who write copy for a living and they're like, ah, oh, it's nothing. But for me, that's a huge shift. That's like going from running two or three K to like full on marathon training. And what I've realized is that when you have to do something a lot, you have to do it in a high volume, something about your identity changes. And I think about running a lot because it's one of those practices that have been so influential in my life. 
know, I always liked to run. I've been running for fun since high school and like very short, like 20 minute runs back then. Uh, But once I started to train for my first marathon is when I started to see myself as a runner. When I started to think about it more, strategize more, um, listen to other people talking about running. And so now that I'm in this space where I am writing a lot, I am noticing how my identity as a writer has shifted. I picked up on this really interesting aspect of my writing practice that I wanted to process here, which is there are different parts of me as a writer. So as a teacher of writing, many people who here teach writing in schools know about the process approach, which is, you know, you kind of go through different stages of the writing process. Like you start with your plan or an outline, and then you go into a draft, and then you revise, and then you get feedback, and then you, you know, publish or get a teacher to look at it. And I I think that there are some flaws with this approach, which we can get into in another conversation, but it sort of sets it up as like a linear process or like a cyclical process that isn't iterative and that doesn't go back and forth. It's not presented as a messy kind of place. And I think that 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 process approach to writing was certainly taught to me as a young person, but I'm starting to see it as different personalities that show up to the writing at those different times. And so... I have noticed that when I am in, for example, the planning stage where I'm not actually drafting anything, I'm just trying to like organize my thoughts. That is a very distinct part of me, different from the part of me when I'm like critiquing and editing and revising and, you know, reading with and against my text to try to like make it the best version. And then if the wrong version of myself, the wrong person shows up for that writing task, it doesn't work. It like is stalled quite dramatically sometimes. So for me, I think that there's actually six different personas, we'll say, of writers that I am working with. And the first one is the procrastinator. And I think many of us are kind of in that stage most of the time. People who fancy themselves writers or who wish to be writers are kind of maybe like always perpetually in that place where we're thinking about pieces of writing that we want to do, but we're not actually getting rolling on it. But I don't think that there's anything wrong with the procrastinator or maybe it's the like, I don't know, the couch potato, because there's like a part of me that is thinking about the piece of writing while I'm walking my dog. There's a part of me that's thinking about the writing while I'm like curled up on the couch under a blanket watching Bridgerton. It's in the back of my mind and it's processing things, but she's not actually doing any writing. But that part of me is still really super important. And that part of me is not useful the day before the paper is due. That part of me is not useful when it should be a different persona showing up. But She has a role, the procrastinator, and she is really useful for a certain stage, which for me is before I start writing to kind of like mull it over and think. I find that my procrastinator or my couch potato writer is like showing up once I sort of get the writing task. So for my courses this term, it was like when I read the syllabus and I saw what was required of the final piece of writing and just sort of like mulling it over, thinking about different angles I might approach, forgetting about it for spans of time, and then coming back to it during, you know, certain segments. And then the second persona that shows up is the planner. And 
the planner me is super anal retentive. She makes lists upon lists. She does full-on diagram outline, um, but it's not quite so linear also. I One of the things that I like to do as the planner self is to also get out traditional paper in my moleskin notebook and sketch out connections between things. So the planner is also, you know, thinking about the mind map and how if this is true and that other idea over on this other side of the page is true, what else could be possible? She's drawing diagrams. She's writing scribbling notes. Nancy Atwell calls this writing off the page. And I've totally taken that on and I love it, which is just scribbling all your ideas down. Some stuff will make it into the final piece. Some stuff won't. But the planner is just kind of like going back and forth between what is expected of me. So she might be looking at the syllabus or the scholarship application or the criteria or the rubric to kind of like get a sense of do I have a handle on what I am required to do for this piece of writing. And the planner is like one distinct time. So I have found that I cannot go from being the planner self into the creative self in the same sitting. So for example, when I was writing I can't even remember what course it was. Maybe it was my Indigenous Methodologies final paper. And I had like a kind of a tighter timeline on this one. I was writing like four papers in the span of two weeks. And I sat down as my planner self. I cut out a little plan, made something made sense. And then I had to get up, put on my running shoes and go for a run. Like I had to get out of the physical space. I had to breathe fresh air. And then when I came back, I was able to transition into a different persona, which for me is the creative. So this is one of those places where I would get tripped up in in past selves. And I wish I knew this when I was an undergrad. And I wish I knew this when I was writing, you know, all of my high school papers, because the creative is the one who looks at the blueprint that the planner has made. And she figures out a way to put it into language, to put it into sentences and paragraphs. And the creative's grammar is not like the best grammar. The creative is not going to have, you know, the most polished ideas. Some transitions between thoughts will be kind of choppy. The creative is certainly not like nailing her citations every time. For academic papers, I have to add in my citations and say who says what. Sometimes the creative is just adding in like fine citation for at well, boom, and like coming back to that later. The creative is not critical. The creative persona does not self-edit very much, like very minor when she is doing that. And my creative self is, you know, very accepting and she's very open. You know, with some of my writing this term, I would do it at the end of the day when the kids had been gone to bed I would have a glass of wine with me to kind of like soften the edges I guess and just allow myself to be slightly less inhibited and you know there's a point where that's not helpful and this is just my process and certainly this isn't something that I would like say like not tell your students to go take slightly mind-altering substances and use that on the writing that is not what I'm saying at all what I'm saying is that get into a mental state where you feel creativity is possible so for me, after a run, yes. For me, at the end of the day, yes. But also sometimes the creative best shows up at like five in the morning when I first wake up and have my first cup of coffee. My mind is not 
you know, hampered down with the critical so much at 5 a.m. She's still in the realm of possibility. So the creative self really needs to feel openness, expansiveness, possibility, and to not be afraid of not getting it right. My creative self, it's like when you've worked on a really good team before, maybe this is like a really good analogy, you know that you don't have to stress about certain parts because you know your other team member will take care of that for you. You know, one of the best teams that I've ever worked on, one of my most solid partners, I just knew that I wouldn't have to worry about the minutia of timetabling or scheduling because she would do that. And so it freed me up to think differently and that I would trust that that other person would take care of those other details. So when I'm writing in that space, my creative person is trusting that the other personas, when it's their time to shine, will take care of some of the other pieces like the citations and the grammar and the finessing and fine tuning things. So the creative's job, when it's finished, I have to leave that piece of writing for at least two days. I did not know this when I was a young, you know, undergrad person writing. I did not know this when I was writing in high school. And I wish I was taught this because that time of leaving a piece of writing to cool off, I don't know if that's a technical term. I think I've just made that up. The time that it it takes to just stop looking at that writing allows me to come back to it with fresh eyes and to actually notice things that I didn't notice before when I was playing the creative role. So at least two days, but like, honestly, I've even given it longer and the, the results are better. I find when it cools off longer, the next persona when she comes in is even better at her job. So the next person after the creative is the critic. And the critic is like a badass boss. And she comes into the writing and she's like, yeah, that transition, not solid. I'm going to tighten that up. Or the critic is also the one who's going through and cleaning up all the citations. I tend to do that at the very end. Like the critic's role of like the citation stuff usually comes in at the very end because it's just annoying and I don't like particularly like that part of writing academic papers. So she comes in at the end and does it in like a separate sitting often. But the critic is also the one who's cleaning up the grammar, who's trying to find a better, more interesting phrase to get an idea across. You know, my critic is not uncreative. She certainly has like a creative flair to her. She's the one who's like finding a better simile to use or making sure my metaphors make sense, that I'm not mixing metaphors between paragraphs. You know, my critic is also the one who's noticing that I'm using the same word seven times in a paragraph and she's tidying that up for the most part. My critic is ruthless and when my critic is showing up, when I'm in creative mode, I have to either tell her to take a rest and to come back later. And sometimes I even say that, like I even talk to her, like she is in the room with me. It sounds a little bonkers, but this is where I'm at. And sometimes I have to stop being the creative because the critic is taking control and I'll come back to it later when it's a better time for me to be in the creative space. But the critic gets stuff done. The critic needs to see the writing with fresh eyes and the critic needs something to work with. The creative is the one who just sort of puts it out there because everything is possible. And the critic is the one who is the analytical eye that's making sure that it is the best it can possibly be. And then after the critic has had her job done, he's let it sit for a little bit, but not too long. And then the collaborator shows up. 
Now for me, I know some people, you know, would prefer to have the collaboration happen at the very beginning. The collaborator maybe shows up in the creative space. For me, I feel more ready to be in a collaborative space, a social writing space, once I feel like it is the best possible thing that I can create on my own. And then what I've discovered is that by then showing it to other people and getting their responses and their takes on it, then I'm able to incorporate different perspectives and see things that my own critic hasn't learned yet or hasn't embodied yet. So my collaborator self, again, I did not know this when I was in high school and when I was in my undergrad and even when I was doing my master's degree. I think that there was a part of myself that felt like if I didn't do a good enough job with the piece of writing, that if I was going to show it to other people to get their feedback, it would, and if they didn't like something or if something wasn't good, it would be a sign that I wasn't a good writer and didn't deserve to be in that space. I think that all the work that has happened in the world of education around growth mindsets has completely infiltrated me. And now I see that the only way that I'm going to get better is by looking honestly at some of the aspects of my writing and my learning and myself that don't work. And that is not a sign that I'm not smart. It's not a sign that I don't deserve to be here. It's just a sign that I'm a human and I have stuff to learn still. So my collaborator this term, I've actually been, you know, reaching out to, there's like a student success center in my school. And I, I'm sure this is like changed over the years, but this space now is really about like, hey, you can get somebody to read your writing and talk you through what they're responding to or what they're noticing or what they're seeing. This is not a space for editing. It's not a space for proofreading. What I've had so far is like a peer read my work and talk me through what they're noticing and ask me questions about it and, you know, give me hints about places that I might need to dig a little deeper into. It is the best possible thing that I've had as a writer to have that socially situated writing. It actually is the reason why I feel like writing can get better. This is one of those things that I feel like I've really had my eyes opened up to. You know, and as a teacher, when I was teaching writing, I was having students peer support and like read each other's work in sometimes a protocoled way and give each other their responses to it. But to really talk about the benefits of the social component of writing and how that pushes us forward in our craft, that's something that I don't think I did enough of as a teacher. And I think that if I were to go back into the classroom, this is something that I would really dig into in my pedagogy. How and when is it really beneficial to be writing collaboratively and to be hearing the feedback and the insights from our audience, other readers? And then after the collaborator person shows up, the one who wants other people to read her work and wants to be in conversation about the writing, Sometimes it goes back to the critic person. The critic person comes in and she then tweaks and edits and goes back and fine tunes. And then like certain moments, like the hats are changing pretty quickly to like the creative person or the planner. And this is this is where I think that process approach to writing kind of like gets muddled because, you know, we are taught this, or at least I was taught this in like the 90s when I was starting to learn how to write in schools, that like it's a cycle. And... You might go through like four or five stages of this cycle and then you have to go all the way back to the beginning and like pick and choose. I see them more as like stages 
but especially as personas that you have to kind of dance between and change these hats for rather than you know, steps along a continuous journey. It's certainly not linear, but I'm not even like clear that it's even a cycle or even stages. For me, it feels like different versions of myself, different hats that I'm wearing. After the collaborator, there's this really cool final sixth persona that kind of shows up and she is the Buddha. She is the one who is ready to turn it in. And it's not about like non-attachment, it's fine, it's out of my hands, but it's actually just like being at peace with what I've created. And I don't think that the Buddha writer has shown up very much in my practice. I think that I would turn my writing in because it was done or it was the deadline. But now I'm getting to a point in my writing where I see it as good as it can possibly get for where I am in my journey right now. And when I was turning in some of my writing this term, I knew that it was limited. I knew that what I was communicating with my words was only going up to a certain point and that there were certain aspects of like what I was writing about that I knew I didn't understand but I was working through those ideas on the page and I was eagerly awaiting I still am eagerly awaiting at this time to get the feedback from my professors to see what it is what else I need to learn in order to grow and this is what's been different for me back in my master's back in my undergrad back in high school I was writing in order to prove that I knew something. I was writing from a place of proving. And now as a writer, I'm writing from a place of, I mean, I still have imposter syndrome, so don't misread me here, but I'm writing from a place of, okay, I am worthy. I understand as much as I understand. And now I'm using my writing as a vehicle to continue to learn. So it's not about I don't like I don't care what my grades are because at this stage of my educational journey the grades don't really matter that much and we all deserve to be here and we're all like excellent students. So I know that the grade is not important. What I'm writing for now is for understanding. What I'm writing for now is to understand what I don't understand, to have somebody else read it and say, "Okay, well these are the holes in your thinking." And I've never been at that place before. And I still know that there's more to learn with this but if we approach the things that we're writing from a place of I deserve to be here I have intelligence then the things that we're contributing and putting out into the world is actually really just about getting feedback getting something reflected back to us so that we can continue to learn that I don't think could be possible for me without the foundation of growth mindset that has been, you know, instilled in all of our minds for the past 10 years, I'm guessing 10 years. But whenever Carol Dweck's work came out, it, you know, immediately started translating into the classroom. And for me, I see this showing up now in my writing, that I'm aware that I need feedback in order to develop what I am trying to learn about. So the six personas, just to recap, are the procrastinator, the planner, the creative, the critic, the collaborator, and the Buddha. And the Buddha is just like the one who is at peace with the way everything is. You know, as my writing practice has shifted and my identity as a writer has changed over the past six months so far, I wonder if this kind of relationship to writing 
can be possible for students in grades 7 through 12. And I, I think it can be. And I think that the only way that we really get to that place is by making most of the writing that we do in the classroom not marked. And that we need to increase the volume that students are writing in order to make sense of their thinking. Writing is a powerful cognitive tool. And it helps us understand ourselves. It helps us make sense of the world. It is a mirror into what we are processing and it allows other people to have a window into that thinking. If I'm only hampered up and if I'm only focused on performing and my writing is a way to prove something and for grades or moving towards a grade, then I'm not going to allow myself all those different personas to show up. It'll probably just be the planner and the critic. And that's not great writing. That isn't the full spectrum of what is possible in our writing. And of course, this doesn't just apply to the written word on the page. Many academics in the field are opening up the definition of what is writing, what is literacy. So this also applies to any creative process that we're trying to make sense of our thinking and trying to make sense of our ideas. But for me, this is showing up most certainly with writing practice. And I think that, you know, many teachers in middle school and high school are still leaning pretty hard into writing as a form of thinking and as a form of processing and as a form of evaluation. But what would be possible if we weren't marking so much, if we weren't so obsessive about grades, maybe students would enjoy writing more. Maybe teachers would have the time to write alongside their students or to come up and do more side-by-side conferences to actually stimulate that collaborator side or to help model some of those different personas of writing. This is a long journey and, you know, as some of you who've been following this for a while know, I'm, you know, deeply invested in studying how we teach writing in schools. That's what I want to be focusing my dissertation on. And this, I, like, I hope that this is helpful. I hope that, you know, thinking about writing in these different ways gives you a different angle to look at it and how you might encourage those different personas. I also wonder if this is part of my background as a theater person. I studied drama in undergrad and I was, you know, the typical drama nerd in high school. And that idea of like taking on different personas depending on the environment and depending on the needs that are around is something I'm very comfortable with. You know, many people who are classroom teachers kind of understand this. When you walk into the classroom space, you are no longer your home self. You even get called a different name. When I was Miss Kirsch in the classroom, I was a different version of myself as when I was at home and with my children and I had a different name. You have a different name when you're a parent. You usually aren't called your first name. And, you know, your partners, your lovers, they usually like usually make up different names for yourself. And so like that idea of like different names you know, maybe that's maybe that's the next stage of this writing persona is like each of those different six personas should get a different name. That might be interesting, like an actual human name. I'll get back to you on that if I come up with something interesting. Stepping into that possibility, if you have another piece of writing to write, I'm curious, is this useful? Did you try it on? Is this something that, you know, is helpful for you in terms of like, isolating some of those different personalities and what is required at different stages. 
let me know. So I, you can find me very easily. I'm at teaching underscore tomorrow on Instagram. That's usually where I'm hanging out most of these days. It's a great behind the scenes space. It's time for us to be playful in a sandbox, to make reels, to put up different posts. That is, you know, the best place to find me. I'm also on Twitter if that's your jam. In that space, I'm at teach underscore tomorrow. Send me a DM, send me a message. And if you're listening to this episode, as so many other people are doing, take a screenshot of it, put it in your stories. Tell me what you thought. Tell me what resonated. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep finding those different personas. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.